Welcome to Back on the Broomstick, a modern witch's spoken word grimoire, where two witchy friends from way back are reconnecting to their pagan roots after a long period of mundanity. We're rewalking the path of the wise and trying out all the latest spells, rituals, and magical theory in today's witchcraft and pagan practices. So grab your wand and your incense, your cauldron and your crystals, and join us as we get Back back on on the Broomstick. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Back on the Broomstick. I'm Layla. And I'm Shell. And what are we talking about today, Layla? Well, Shell, today we're going to be talking about working with your ancestors. A little bit about how to do it, why to do it, and why now is a good time of year for it. I'm feeling fall in the air, Shell. I'm definitely feeling it. It's there. It I is. woke up one morning and I was like, geez, it smells like fall. What the heck? I think I drove to Ohio and it was summer, and drove back, and it was fall in upstate New York. That's funny, because I drove from uh, Salem to upstate New York, and I was like, geez, it's awful fall-like here in upstate. (laughs) I come back to Massachusetts, and I'm like, that shit followed me. It did. It happened seemingly overnight. But this is the time of year. The autumn equinox is right around the corner. Samhain is breathing down our necks the witch's new year the final harvest the nostalgia is brewing oh my gosh this is one of the first halloween seasons first fall seasons that i've been in back in upstate new york and i am loving the crispness of the air the leaves that are already starting to change you and no one else by the way (laughs) (laughs) yeah nobody else likes fall it's just me but it is kind of the time of year where you you kind of look back on those that have gone before. Yep, the veil is thinning. You naturally feel a connection to the turning of the wheel, to the people that have gone beyond. And I don't know about you, but my family just got some craziness about passing on anywhere between September 1st and December 31st. Like, it's just like this weird vibe they've got going on, and they need to just stop. (laughs) Oh, your family passes away this time of year? Yes, Oh, wow. So I think that's why I do a lot of ancestral work and a lot of ancestral remembrance and and things of that nature around this time of year, because one of the most significant deaths I've had in my family in my whole lifetime was uh, in the middle of September. Then it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, the second most important person to pass was then um, right at Samhain. So it just kind of is a snowball. So I I get that vibe this time of year, even though, you know, there's the whole, oh, the veil is thinnest right at Samhain, right at Halloween time. Well, you know, it depends on where you are and how thick that veil is to begin with, because my veil really does start thinning around this time um, because of of those events. Yeah, it's absolutely the thinnest at Samhain at that time. But leading up to it and leading away from it, it is also very, very thin. And so ghosts and ancestors are very pervasive this time of year. So it's not surprising. And you, unfortunately, have a second reason to look at it as a as a going inward, as a ancestor connection time of year. But it does not have to be this time of year to work with your ancestors. People work with their ancestors all year round. Now, you, Shell, are one of the very first people I met who ever actually worked with ancestors. I had done a lot of reading back when I was a witchling about cultures and people that do a lot of ancestor work. That's just because my ancestors scared the crap out of you when you were like 22 years old and you were like, <laughs> who is that guy? I'm like, oh, don't worry. That's my grandpa. And you're exactly. like, but, but he's see-through. I'm like, well, yeah, he died when I was 10. 
but he was with you and he has been with you for a very long time and he has been part of our rituals at times. Absolutely. And, and, you know, not to jump ahead, but I actually, I, I, I wanted to touch today on ancestor altars or having ancestral pieces, a part of your main altar. Um, I don't necessarily have an ancestral altar per se dedicated to just that, but in my altar area and probably why my grandpa sticks around a lot. Uh, my grandfather was a fireman and I have his, uh, his fire badges uh, that were from his uniform. And I keep both of these things on my altar. So I have, and you know, no matter where you move, I got storage units full of crap stuff that I haven't touched in a little bit, but like, these are things that no matter where I am, they are with me no matter what. And, and it, it's kind of that they are a piece of my grandpa. They are a piece of my altar and, and they are a remembrance piece. And, and I feel like maybe I keep him with me. Probably. I mean, I think that's part of it. We want to keep these people close to us. So that's definitely part of it for sure. Do you have any sort of ancestral altar or things you put on your altar that are ancestral focused? I do. I have a couple pictures of people that I love that have passed. Some are relatives and some are friends. One's a dog. And this year has been tough. There have been a lot of deaths in my family. and it A lot has of pictures a, added to the altar. A lot huh? of pictures added. And I do have an ancestor altar. As I've gotten older, maybe that's a natural progression. I don't know. But I, I have started to pay more attention to ancestor worship. Not just people I have known in life that have passed, but people from my heritage that have passed. And, and I do have an altar. Altars are very common when people um, venerate their ancestors. And it's seen in many, many different cultures that you have the ofrenda altar in uh, Mexico for Dia de los Muertos. And those can be quite large and elaborate. Some uh, Chinese and Vietnamese families will often have an altar in the home. India, you can find this everywhere, cultures everywhere. We all love the people that helped create us. We all worship them in some way or honor them in some way. And so an altar is one way to do it. One thing that I kind of stole from a community member for Samhain, one of the things that people do in paganism, in uh, I believe it's a Celtic practice, was to set a dumb supper. Right. right around Halloween, around Samhain, one of the things that we do, and I have done this for a very long time, is to set a place at the table for the beloved dead, for the people who you love, who have passed. You set a, a place at the table to invite them to come into your family and to your home. And it's one of my favorite traditions around that time of year. So what she had done was she had purchased a large black charger plate at a, um, like at a dollar store or something. And she takes permanent, really nice art, permanent markers in silver and gold. And around this plate, she has started writing ancestors that she works with. Oh, I love that idea. Recent people who have passed away, friends and family. And of course, spiritual ancestors are on there as well as physical ancestors but she writes them in a spiral on this plate. And that's the plate that she uses for her dumb supper when she puts the offering out. And I have stolen that for my own ancestral altar at home. That's a great idea. I love that. It's a very beautiful way to, to have a physical item to honor the people. And like Shell has very personal items and, and items that belonged to these people. I'm more of a trinket person. I like trinkets. Like my, my grandmother, um, that I was very close to. You remember her? She was a Spitfire, and yes. her favorite Halloween, her favorite holiday above all was Halloween. Like Halloween was my grandma's Christmas, and 
every Halloween, no matter what she dressed up with, because until she was 87 years old, dressed up every year faithfully, no matter what she wore, she always wore this wooden cauldron pin. And so when she passed away, I made sure to get my hands on the wooden cauldron pin. (laughs) Um, Shocker. And that also, that wooden cauldron pin also, uh, I I sit next to my grandfather, her husband's uh, fire badges. So they are actually... They are my grandparents, but yeah, the husband and wife duo. So, you know, I I like to bring people back in pairs. (laughs) But I also, with my trinket collection, a few years back, I had a friend pass away from severe mental illness. And before she passed away, she had given me a locket with a moonstone. And in that locket, she had put a picture of her and I. And then after that, she had passed away. So this locket is a part of my ancestor altar now. When she originally gave it to me, I wore it as a necklace, but after she passed, it kind of came became more of an altar piece. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of like to have more visuals. I guess I'm a visual person. I'm a knickknack person. I love shiny freaking things. So I like to have the things as opposed to, I love the idea of the, of the, the dumb supper, or I've heard it called a silent supper as well. I just... I'm not always able to be that ornate at dinner time. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Well, I don't necessarily, what I usually do is I set it out on the dining table and we leave it there uh, usually for three days around Samhain. So it's not necessarily just during mealtimes. We kind of set it there during that day before, day of, day after time period of Samhain. My cats would like mess that shit up they big would. time. <laughs> But the other thing with your items is those are all items that were personal and close to the person right. who held them and right. hold some of their energy. Some of their literal DNA is still on those items. And so that's very much a connection and very magical to have. So if you can have that, that's fantastic. But to kind of get more on the ins- and, and the, the more DNA ancestors, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, in my time that I have lived in Salem, which has only been a couple of years, my daughter, bless her soul, has become one of those ancestry DNA fanatics. Okay. Um, she made me spit in the tube and mail it in, <laughs> the whole kit and caboodle. My adult child has done some extensive genealogy after her brother and her and myself all doing the spit in the tube thing. I actually have found out that I had a, a distant relative that was one of the founders of Salem. I'd like to point out that Salem was founded about 35 years prior to the witch trials. Um, So this is more of a a Salem founder, not necessarily witch trial related. And I have found myself a couple of times going down to the shore and just thinking of this person. His name was Peter Palfrey and his daughter, Remembrance Palfrey, is is who married into what became my family. So I, I go down sometimes to the Salem Harbor and think about what would life have been like for her and how did it get from her standing on that shore to me standing on that shore. And the irony of that is through my my family tree and my DNA history, Remembrance Palfrey and Peter Palfrey trace back to my grandmother with whom I keep the cauldron pin on my ancestor altar. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, so... So, you know, I don't know this person. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything about their life back in 1632, but that is a a DNA ancestor of mine. And I have caught myself down at the beach thinking, 
she's looked out on this beach before and I looked out on this beach before and what what the holy heck happened between then and now because a lot has happened between then and now and it it, it kind of takes you back into that I don't want to use your words but a meditative state it's a it's a peaceful moment kind of remembering someone even though I never knew them I mean this person is is like my eighth great grandmother obviously it's not someone I've met in the flesh but genetically, that is my eighth great grandmother who stood on that same beach as I did. That's a beautiful way to find a connection, to be able to stand in the same place. But even if you can't physically be in the same place where your ancestors were, you can still build connections with them, either through pictures or items. Ancestry is a great place to go. Genealogy, people have found all sorts of amazing documents, signatures, photos of graves. You can find connect- physical connections in all sorts of ways. or you can find out, like myself, I'm a big mutt. My family has done a lot of genealogy, and I, I'd like to know more one of these days, and I will, but haven't gotten there yet. I do know that we are such big mutts that you can really only call me an American. I have a lot of different nationalities in my lineage, and I think that's kind of cool. But what I can do is go through, and I'm related to Robert the Bruce. And he's a distant grandfather on my grandmother, my paternal grandmother's side. I love that because I'm related to Queen Elizabeth II. Look, we're (laughs) we're supposed to be royalty here, royalty. Right. And we're supposed to to bring peace to our lands. I know. But although I'm definitely not Scottish, I mean, I'm not enough Scottish to really claim it. That's still part of my heritage. And I'm still interested in that. And so I can look up parts of the culture and read about it. And I can take that information that I have learned and craft a a meditation or a ritual to learn more, to ask these ancestors, to ask Robert the Bruce himself, or maybe another relative, like you found Remembrance Palfrey. What a freaking cool name, first of all. It is kind of a cool name. You could talk to Remembrance. If you find somebody in, in your tree that you would like to learn more about, you can ask them to come into a dream or come into your meditation or to come into ritual space with you. Offer that and ask them what they have to teach you. Just like you might sit down at your grandparents or great grandparents' knee and ask them about stories from when they were younger. Ask this person their name, ask them to come talk to you and be prepared if they say no, because I've had that happen. Really? <laughs> well, so like a lot of very white families in America, my family had a lot of stories on both sides about how we had Native American ancestry. And I was pretty sure it was bullcrap. You know, it's something people said, I guess. I don't know. But when we started doing the genealogy on my father's side, way back in the late 1500s, there's a woman that's just listed as Native woman. And you tried to reach out, didn't you? I did. And she's not happy. She's not thrilled. What I know from our genealogy is she eventually went back to the Netherlands with this man and had several children. And that's all I know. Her children then came back to America. So she could have very well have been enslaved. She could have been. She could have been. I don't know anything else about her. And so I reached out to her and she said no. She's come up a couple times when I've done ancestry work and when I've done tried to reach you know, to her, to other grandmothers in the past. And she's angry. I mean, I guess I've been told no when you kind of put it that way. There's been times where I've desperately reached out to my grandfather and kind of got the not today, sweetheart. 
And that's, that's going to happen. And that I'm busy call again. Right. For a lot of us, there's going to be ancestral trauma. The history is not always going to be a pretty place. You're going to have ancestors that come to you that died horrible deaths, that starved, that had terrible lives, that were very angry, not great people. <laughs> or in my case, an ancestress who was done wrong. Right. And so I think I, I've been working with that part of it. You, you don't just look at the good parts. You shouldn't just look at the good parts. You know, you should accept and work with the bad parts as well to maybe try and find some healing in that or moving forward in that. But you also, in the same breath, can't take on the burden of why that ancestor is upset or in your case, you know, your ancestor may or may not have been done dirty. You can't take on that burden of responsibility. Absolutely not. No, but understand it, kind of unpack it and learn from it. hundred percent. Right, right. So in learning about that, you know, you're going to uncover things in your family, both recent and very far, that are wonderful. You know, I'm related to Robert the Bruce. How freaking cool is that? That is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. (laughs) But I'm also related to someone who probably abducted a Native woman and kept her in another country against her will. Right. So you're going to find all of that. And learning to... That's family, folks. That's right. (laughs) And so learning to to sit with that, to learn from that, is part of what all of this is about. That's what we're here to do, is to learn from our ancestors. They're not all going to have been, you know, hedge witches from England that have spells to teach you, you know. Nor are they going to be great heroes that had the utmost ethics and morals either. Most of them are just going to be people who are trying to get by, just like us. And there's lessons to be learned there too. I was going to ask you, do you have any tips for any, for folks on how to tap into finding your ancestors? Okay. We, you know, everybody knows ancestry DNA, you know, all of the other DNA testing, but as far as on a magical ritual, spiritual work level, what is your biggest tip for people to connect with ancestors? Find out about them as much as you can. Say you have, if you have a name, if you have a country, if you have any information about them at all, hold that information. If all you have is a country, learn as much as you can about that country and that time period so that you can have an idea of what you're looking for. And then set and setting, like we've said in other meditation podcasts, get yourself into, in front of your ancestor altar, get yourself into a meditative magical space and ask you know, hold all that information that you know, whether it's about the place and culture and time period, or if it's as specific as a name and a picture and a lock of hair, take that information and use that energy to call out to this person where they are beyond the veil and ask if they want to come talk to you. And if they have any information to give you or stories to tell you, ask in a respective way and in a magical space. As much information as you can gather, get that first. That's my biggest tip. And, you know, we, on occasion, we do these try it episodes and I'm going to kind of turn this into a try it if I can. I've been able to kind of track down a general location of where Peter Palfrey had his land because apparently it was like 200 acres. So there's a little bit. That's so flipping cool. I want to see if I can go there in a non-trespassing kind of way. <laughs> You know, if if I just feel like if I'm on land that they owned, that maybe I can glean some more yes. connection. Because that's definitely a connection I kind of want to try to foster. 
I would have to go back and look at Peter Palfrey's death date, but Peter Palfrey was the one that came over and was a founder of Salem. Wait a minute. If he was there 35 years before the witch trials and remembrances his... <gasps> How old was she during the witch trials? She died. I think the witch trials were 1692 and she didn't die until... Um, 1701. So she was alive during the witch trials. I know nothing more. I know nothing more. Yes. Now see, this is great. And my daughter is not entertaining me to dig deeper. I'm like, find out more. She's like, I'm busy. I'm like, but (laughs) mommy needs to know this. And she's like, you know, I got work and I got a life. And I'm like, you're killing me, kid. (laughs) But going to those places, even if it's not your ancestral place, if you know your ancestor was on a sailing ship, Go on one of those big wooden sailing ships and walk around on it. Go to Salem and walk the streets. Go to a historic place. She's buried here and I got to find it. And her husband, um, which was actually my genetic DNA relative, um, her husband was also buried within about a 30 mile radius of Salem. And my goal in the next year is to track these people's graves down. But if you walk in these historic places, whether your ancestor walked there or not, and you allow yourself to be magically open and receptive to those energies, you can feel that. I mean, these you can feel the shadows of the people who walked that path before you. They're right there, especially this time of year in, in historic places in particular, or places that have meaning to your ancestors in particular. You can just feel that energy. You just have to be a little bit open to it, a little receptive. It provides so many benefits. It gives you information. It gives you a direct line. I, I think it's important for, for folks in, in living in a historic town, which I just happen to have um, a DNA trace to, you get that sense walking down the street, you're absorbing that history. And it's not just the history. It is all the people that have walked down. I mean, you've been here with me walking down that cobblestone road. How many people were walking down that cobblestone road 300 years ago? I mean, it's just a vibe that you pick up. And if you put it out there, you should be able to get some sort of reception unless you're Layla's ancestor and get the door slammed in your face. (laughs) I don't blame her one bit, not one bit. And again, the best way to get in touch with your, your ancestors is to set up an ancestor altar with pictures to them or items from their homeland food. I was just going to say food offering or beverage offering. Um, My grandma, uh, I'm sure you remember this from back in the day. My grandma is a Coke drinker, like nobody's business. She would drink (laughs) like four, two liters a day, like, like religiously. So sometimes if I'm trying to reach out to my grandma, I'll put a little Coke in a cup. Because yes. I know that that woman cannot resist like Coke. It's the real thing. And she lived by that mantra. And scents and smells and tastes are huge memory triggers. And so they are definitely something that can call ancestors to you because what's going to bring them back faster than their favorite home cooked meal or their favorite drink, you know, mix a drink for them. If they like it, if I was going to call my husband's father, I'd light a joint. There's, you know, whatever smells remind you of that person are going to pull them in. But keep in mind, if you don't have any of those things, that doesn't mean that you can't do it. You might not have the trinkets or the pictures, or you might not remember that your grandma smoked Terryton cigarettes. Yeah, weird fact. (laughs) You might not have these things. That's okay. You know, 
one thing, and, and this is what I've tried to do a couple of times, and maybe I just need to do it more um, because it is such a deep rooted ancestral, you know, it's, it's far back. I've sat here a couple of times and just written down the name. Um, I've written down Peter Palfrey dozens of times. I've written down Remembrance Palfrey. Just kind of trying. I don't have anything. I don't have a trinket of theirs. I don't have a picture of them. I just have a name, you know. It's, it's not like my grandparents or my friend where I have stuff. So I, write the name, write the name, write the name. Almost like I'm Bart Simpson writing on the chalkboard, you know. I don't know. It works for me because that's all I got. So yeah. if you don't have stuff, be creative. You know, if if you've got a name. Just sit there and Bart Simpson that out on a on a notebook pad of paper. Just keep writing it. That that's what works for me when I'm in a situation where I don't have the trinkets or the photos or what have you. And that's where research about the area, you know, maybe you know where they were born or or maybe you know what time period and what country they were born. And you can do a lot of research about what their life would have been like at that their time. Their culture. Their culture. And, it, and take it good and bad and, and just meditate with that and call to them. Call to them with the information that you know. Maybe cook a traditional dish from that time or find a scent that would have been popular at that time. An incense or a candle and just call to them and ask them what their name is. Ask them how they want to be called by you. Ask them about their life. Ask them what information they have to provide. This is why being in a meditative state or using dream work is a really great way to talk to them because it's the best way to get messages. Automatic writing is a great way to do it. Uh, Shell and I have used Ouija boards as a way to speak to them. I know not everybody likes that. I think it's just one more way to connect. But, you know, automatic writing, getting yourself into a meditative state and then just free form writing. Ask a question and then just write out whatever answer as it comes and let it flow another way to kind of get these messages. But like Shell said, you don't have to have specifics. You don't have to have a trinket. You can just have an idea of who they were and where they're from and go from there and let them fill in the rest of the information. Yeah, just like regular altar tools. It's fun to have. They're pretty to have, but it's not necessary. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be around this time of year, although it makes it easier if it is. Um, it can be any time of year. And the closer the connection, the easier it will be to call to them. My other big tip is don't wait until they're beyond the veil. Talk to your grandparents. Talk exactly. to your great aunts. Talk to your great grandparents. Ask them about their lives. Ask them what information they want to give to you. Ask them about their favorite place or ask them about their best vacation. Ask them about their first love. Ask them anything, but ask them while they're still here because they're still your ancestors. That information is still worthy. They don't have to be dead to give it to you. The conversation's way more fun when they're still alive. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's my biggest tip right there. But yeah, um, and they don't have to be related to you. Personally, I'm very much right now into lineage and close friend, chosen family, ancestor worship. It's kind of where I'm focused a little bit. But spiritual worship, uh, spiritual ancestry is another one where uh, maybe a famous figure or, you know, someone we spoke about her earlier, Hail the Traveler, Patricia Keneally Morrison. She is on my altar because she had a big impact in my life. She's not my ancestor. And I don't think I'm badass enough yet to call upon her as one, but I still remember her. And so she's on a remembrance altar. And I think of her as a spiritual ancestor. And so you could do that with people that 
you know, you care for or you have heard of or you respect, admire, you know, Shell might have Lady Di, Princess Diana as a spiritual ancestor. I don't know. Or the queen. She could ask for information from them, whether they're related to her or not. I actually do have um, one of the queen's platinum jubilee pins on my ancestor. Of course you do. Why did you have to call (laughs) me out on that? Fans of our other podcast, The Stoned Witches Hour, will know that Shell is very much a fan of the monarchy, particularly God's rest her soul, Queen Elizabeth. And that was way before my daughter even found out that there was a genetic link, by the way. That's right. So having someone that you admire um, that has passed on, a witchy type person, a, a famous person, anything, you could certainly have them as someone that you call, as an ancestor that you call upon. But it's just a slightly different type of energy. Connection. Yeah. yeah, it's a different type of connection, different type of energy. You know, if I'm calling on old Queenie here, I'm going to be calling <laughs> the Queen in a different attitude probably than I'd be calling my grandma. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. How you approach it would probably be different depending on who you're calling. But I'm I'm very interested in trying to kind of make that connection with some of my ancestors that I know are from from my local area as well as in the surrounding parts of eastern Massachusetts. So I'm looking forward to kind of delving into that in this quote unquote thinning veil season. If any of you guys have any questions on how to create an ancestor altar, what you should put on it. Or if you have any questions about connecting with your ancestors, please contact us by DM on our Instagram at Back on the Broomstick or our Facebook page slash Back on the Broomstick. Or Or guess what? We're going to have a website. What's the website address? Tell us. It's a big surprise. Really strange. Backonthebroomstick.com. Or email us at backonthebroomstick at gmail.com. And we will happily help you out with any questions that you have. So thank you all so much for joining us. Keep it witchy. Thank you for listening to Back on the Broomstick. Please join us next week on Friday as we discuss even more topics that you have sent in. And please rate us, give us stars, reviews. It really helps the show out and we appreciate it. So we will see you next time.